One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. Welcome to another Daddy Deep Dive, where we dive into some of our favorite movies and favorite movies of people that we know in our lives and want to talk about movies with us. Um, we got a special guest today. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? We're here with our buddy, Devin Smith. Hello, Devin Smith. Hi. Thanks for having me. We're... Uh, we're really excited to have you. When we first started this podcast, you were one of the people that were like, we want to have on the show because we love talking about movies with you. That's so kind. We actually, we, we went over and watched the movie we're going to be talking about today at your place. And on the way home, I'm just, I said to Kylie, I'm like, I love hanging out with people that talk about movies the same way we talk about movies. Yes. It's very special. Yeah. It is very special. And I don't know if you felt this, but after we watched it, I was like, holding back a little bit because I wanted to honestly start talking about it immediately afterwards. <laughs> yep. But I was like, mm, save it. Mm, it's fine. Yeah, that's kind of we did a, a show with our friend Jeremy and we watched a whole week worth of movies. And after everyone, we're like, OK, well, see ya. <laughs> we try to save everything yeah. for the show. <laughs> Don't talk out the door. Yeah. Um, but introduce yourself a little bit. Okay. Well, yes. Hello. My name is Devin. Uh, I don't honestly really know how to introduce myself other than I, like you, very much love movies. Um, love talking about them with my pals. And so um, I'm a fan of the show nice. and was very excited and very honored when you asked me to be on. And um, I had a bit of trouble picking a movie, too, because I was like, there's so many great ones we can talk about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Also, how does anyone introduce themselves ever? I don't ever know what to say. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's fair. That's a good point. <laughs> um, I think I, I want to share how we all know each other because I feel like the way I think it's very funny that you and I met independently of how. Oh, my God. Kylie I and you literally met. forgot about this until right this minute. That's so funny. So it's really funny because I went so I went to school for design with a focus in photography. Mm-hmm. And so a big part of my course load was organizing and arranging photo shoots. And I was a very bad student. And when we needed to get models to model for us for our photography projects, I was always like, I didn't ask anybody. I need to figure this out. But there was a person that I went to school with who 
frequently, I feel like frequently asked you to come in and model for her photography. Yes, I actually did that quite a bit. We were, we worked together and we were pals and she, yeah, she just always asked me and it was such a fun thing that I never did outside of that sphere ever again but that is that's very funny that's great but what's so funny is that i would just piggyback off of her bringing you in and be like can i take photos of you too (laughs) for my projects so a lot of my projects and that person's projects just had you as the model for them that's my legacy yeah i love it my very short modeling career that mm, glad i could help yeah i graduated so you know success yep i completely (laughs) forgot about that yeah. So I think that's really funny because then later in life, like many years, maybe like four years later, I want to say three years later, something like that. Yeah. Then you and Kylie met independent of me. Yeah. Yeah. We worked together. Yeah. Which we just realized was is almost 10 years ago. Yeah. It makes me feel really old. Makes me want to die. Yeah. <laughs> we worked at a tea shop, which was a hip thing to do. It was. It was very hip. It was fun. Fun job. It was really fun. Yeah. Lots of good people. Yeah. And I feel like even though and when we met up to watch the movie, I feel like that's the first time we have really hung out since then. Yeah. But I know we've like we've kept in touch over like social media and I frequently see you at our mutual favorite place, which Metro is Cinema. Metro Cinema. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind you of can't like be, been in the periphery of each other's lives ever since. Can't be a cool movie person in Edmonton and not go to Metro. I know, right? It's um, required. Yeah, I think I I thought that was so funny, and I didn't want to bring it up when we were hanging out because I thought that was great fodder for for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, that's so funny. I completely forgot that. Um, so, model, t- tea slinger, movie goer. Yeah, Devin uh, Smith. I wear many hats. Yeah. I do. <laughs> um. Cool. So let's get into the movie that we watched. Very exciting. Uh, Just a heads up and a reminder that the Daddy Deep Dives are all about entering the spoiler zone. So we're getting into the nitty gritty details of the movie and we're going to spoil the shit out of it. So if you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs, you might want to dip out now. So Silence of the Lambs. Excellent pick. I'm so happy that you picked this because it's been a hot minute since we watched it came out in 1991 it's a crime drama thriller it was directed by jonathan demi who i honestly only know he's directed some big things i can't remember off the top of my head but one thing that i know that he's directed was the music video for the song the perfect kiss by new order and i love Mm. that music video uh and it's very vibey it was written by ted talley and based on the novel by thomas harris it stars the incredible jodie foster as clarice starling Anthony Hopkins or Sir Anthony Hopkins as Dr. Hannibal Lecter, uh, Scott Glenn as Jack Crawford, Cassie Lemons as Ardelia Mapp, uh, Anthony Held Held, as Dr. Frederick Chilton and Frankie Faison as Barney. And don't forget Chris Isaac as um, unnamed SWAT team member. (laughs) (laughs) And you should probably say James Gum as uh, Oh, yeah. And Ted Ted Levine. Oh, yeah. Thanks for nothing. IMDb. Wait, James Gum. Ted Levine is his real name. James Gum is. <laughs> and James Gum as Buffalo Bill. But I Bill. feel like that is so. Um, like when we were watching it, my husband made the comment of like he can't see that actor in any other role. So that is very. He funny. just is. He just is Buffalo Bill. Yeah, James yes. Gum. James Gum. Yes. And Brooke Smith is. No wait. Catherine Martin as Brooke Smith. Brooke Smith is Catherine, Catherine Martin, Martin is Girl and Well. Okay, so Brooke Smith. There you go. As Catherine Martin <laughs> girl slash Girl and Well. well. <laughs> All right. 
<laughs> uh, synopsis. A young FBI cadet must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer, a madman who skins his victims. Damn. Damn. Okay. Let's kick it off with our histories of this film. So, Devin, let's start with you. What mm. is your history with this film? Why is it important to you? Do you remember the first time you saw it? I remember very well the first time I saw it. <laughs> okay. So, this is a, a, quite an important movie to me in my in my life. I watched it for the first time when I was 18 with my now husband. Um, we've been together for a very long time. Um, but it, we, it was the movie we watched the night that we, like, decided to start dating and like be a couple like mm -hmm. boyfriend girlfriend as the kids say um which is kind of I don't know in hindsight we always like laugh about that that it's a great date night movie mm -hmm. um but I feel like you too appreciate that mm -hmm. um and on our first anniversary he got me a little um I guess taxidermy pinned um uh, Death's Head Moth, which I love very much. And so it's one of those movies. I feel like people have movies in their relationship that they like frequently revisit. And it's mm -hmm. it so it's special in that aspect that it's it's important for our relationship and we both love it very much. But it also came at a time where I was really starting to watch more like quote unquote like good important movies right, and was yeah. starting to like, you know take film watching a little more seriously and consider like what I liked and what, you know, trying to catch up on all these great movies that I had never seen growing up. So, um, yeah, kind of at a time in my life when that's what I was doing. And so it's special to me in that aspect. That's um, great. I, yeah. I love that you, I love that you saw it. At, I don't know, later in life, <laughs> but like I kind of, uh, when we watched it, your husband was saying that he saw it when he was probably too young. And I feel like that's my experience. Mm. I feel like I watched it when I was probably too young. So like it kind of messed me up a little bit of just how bleak and dark this mm -hmm. world Fair. is. But it at the same time, I kind of liked it. It's one, of the, it's one of those things where it's like I hate it, but I also love it. I can't remember the first time that I watched it. I feel like I just watched it by myself. Oh, so great. <laughs> at home. I just like I mean, the cover of it is so iconic. It's such an iconic yeah. poster. And as a kid, I've talked on the show before of how my family growing up had just like a massive VHS collection. So mm -hmm. I would just look at all of the covers and just be fascinated by all the artwork. And that was one of the ones that just kind of rose to the surface of like, I want to watch this mm -hmm. eventually. Um, but yeah, I can't remember the experience of watching it for the first time. And you and I were, you and I, Kylie, were talking this morning of have we watched it together? And I feel like we have, but maybe we have for sure. A I few just, times. I'm not sure how many times we've seen it. Yeah. Um, Definitely seen it together. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember your history with it? It's very similar to you. I just have no memory of the first time that I saw it. I know I was decently young. I know I've seen it a lot. Um, I feel like I watched it with my family. Other than my dad, no one in my family is really a horror movie person. Mm. But this is one of those movies that kind of crosses the boundaries of horror thriller. So that some people who would never watch a horror movie will watch this. And I mm. think it was maybe something I watched with my sisters and my mom. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, like I love that this is a movie. For all intents and purposes, it is, it is very horror adjacent. Um, but I love that something like this one best picture. I know. So it's so accessible. It's kind of like it in a similar but different genre way to everything everywhere all at once. Like it is 
such a unique and cool movie that dabbles in genre that you don't typically associate with a best picture winner. Um, but that fact that so many people went out to see this and probably got fucked up by it makes me it really is, happy. It's pretty fucked up. It is. And I think I always forget how like upsetting a lot of yeah. it is just because, yeah, they're, you're mm-hmm. so familiar with it at this point. I mean, I've also seen it many times since then. And I always forget when I'm like, oh, shit, this is like, this gets like kind of gnarly. Yeah. Um, but also I feel like, well, yeah, when we think about it, people often refer to it as being like one of the very few horror movies that have been have gotten any like recognition from the academy awards and mm-hmm. i was thinking about it on the way here i'm like would i consider this like a like a, a horror movie do i feel that it fits in horror canon and i think sometimes people say no and i think it is firmly in horror would you agree we, we actually have this conversation a lot about movies that horror isn't necessarily the first thing that is in the list of genres it's a part of yeah mm-hmm but people will throw horror in there because it has horrific moments in it. Mm-hmm. This to me is really in the same category as Seven. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, which I watched a lot as a like junior high age student. Mm-hmm. Like I watched it on repeat, mm-hmm. um, and they give me very similar icky, icky feelings. Yeah, yeah, very icky. And I feel like they lend themselves to that. On a on a lesser degree, like CSI, Criminal Minds, Mind Hunter, mm-hmm. um, thing where you can almost lose the ickiness and the horror of it because you get caught up in the investigative part the of procedural it, procedural part, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then it feels more crime drama than horror, yeah, yeah. Because I feel like the thing that movies like Seven and this establish is. It's not just what's happening on screen, like the things that our characters are seeing or experiencing that is horrific, but it's the world that is set up. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a very bleak world. And I, it's a world in the Silence of the Lambs world that I quite like. Like I really like Red Dragon. I really like the Hannibal TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, I like going to this world because it, it feels like this just really gritty, dark, bleak place that doesn't seem like our, our world. Um, but yeah, like I feel it, to answer your question, I feel like I do think of it as a horror movie, but at the end of kind of at the end of the list, like crime, drama, thriller, horror, like mm-hmm. I would kind of put it the furthest distance away because yeah. I, I don't know, like I wouldn't pick this up at Halloween, like this wouldn't yeah. be like a Halloween movie that I would watch, like I don't think of it as a like a scary movie. Like mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a good point too. When there's like that crime proceed, like police investigation aspect of it, that it does like, it becomes more of like a, like a thriller or a drama. I, I was also thinking of like Zodiac. Too. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, gives, yeah. it, I feel but like psychological, a good old psychological. thriller. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like if this movie was entirely from girl and Wells perspective, it would be a horror movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh my God. If it was just Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Or if it was even from like his perspective, but it's you're adding in that like the fact that Clarice is our protagonist and we're from the FBI's perspective and, and Hannibal is there as this like aid to the FBI. Mm-hmm. And we actually get very little of Buffalo Bill for for as horrifying as everything with him is. We see very little of the graphicness of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all shown in very like uh very small glimpses, yeah. all yeah. sort of pieced throughout the film. 
Um, and just going back to what you're saying about like the world of Silence of the Lambs. And um, I think, yeah, going, you know, reviewing it all mostly through Clarice's perspective. And it is very like, it's very cold. It's lacking yeah. a lot of like mm-hmm. comfort and warmth. And I think there it's, it feels very like empty aside from those shots that are in when it feels the busiest. It's when you're in like the FBI Academy and it's very like austere and it's very, mm-hmm. you know, like there's that violent, you know, aspect to it with, you know, the fact that it's policing and guns and, and all that stuff. And yeah, there's not a lot of moments of like comfort, I think. Mm-hmm. And if they come through, it's like when Clarice is hanging out with Ardelia and those are like 100%. The, the most calming moments in mm-hmm. this film. Yeah. I could have used more of that. And I feel like if this movie was made today, there would have been more of that relationship developed. I disagree. No. Mm. But I, that, that's something I want to talk about later. So okay. oh, we'll put a pin in that for now. Yeah. Then. Okay. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> okay. Let's get into then let's let's get into the what did you notice um, portion of the show. It's such an interesting question when it's something that we've all seen many times mm-hmm. and in many different contexts and in different times in our lives that I tend I tend to think of like what did you notice as like the the thing that's always there mm-hmm. and then the, like what stuck with you is like what was different this time yeah that's fair yeah I think um just to kind of kind of button what you were saying just about um the vibe of the the signs of the lambs universe um yes it is bleak and dark but i think what adds to it and i noticed this this time is the matter of fact delivery of upsetting information in this Mm -hmm. film so like examples are like chilton showing clarice the photo of the woman and like talking about how torn up her face is but we never see the photo but it's Mm -hmm. very just like here's this photo yeah and this happened let's keep going or Hannibal and Clarice having convos about eating eating people very nonchalantly because mm-hmm. they both acknowledge and know Hannibal or Hannibal eats people, and that's just like a part of their conversation. But that's a fucked up thing, and for an audience, you're kind of like, whoa, whoa, like how are we just so chill about this conversation right yeah. now? <laughs> um, but I feel like that those kinds that approach to those kinds of conversations is very upsetting and adds to that world building of this is just humanity mm-hmm. at its worst. Yeah, it's very like clinical, it's very removed from emotion and to know that it's just like a fact of these people's lives like you kind of start to think about like well, how would I react if I was presented with that information which is probably yeah. pretty poorly, but they yeah, it's just a fact of their lives and you know, I think it yeah it's a it's a hard thing to think about if that's just like what you had to be around all the time like what would that be like for you there's a i was reading as i do trivia for this movie (laughs) and this is one of the most disturbing trivia things i've ever read in my life um i guess the fbi was quite involved in the making of this film Hmm. because they believed it would be a good recruitment tool for women in the fbi which i strongly disagree Oh, that is shocking. Yeah, I'm like, I don't, this would not make me want to join the FBI. Um, but there was a fellow, what's his name? The guy who like, he's a big, big FBI guy. Give me a second. Mr. FBI. Mr. FBI. Just thinking about that, like the shot of Clarice walking into the elevator and it's all men. That would be like, that's me being, I never want to be in the FBI. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it's like. I'm like, this does not seem like, oh, like women in the FBI. It's going to be great. That's such a, <laughs> like, um man male you know 
idea of like they'll love this. Yeah, women. Oh man, <laughs> they can't wait to join the. FBI. It's gonna be so great. But there was a particular guy who helped out a lot. I'm gonna find his name. Um, and he worked a lot with Scott Glenn, who plays Jack Crawford. And I guess at one point, Scott Glenn felt like he he really got this guy. He really got what it was like to be in the FBI. And so he says to him, if you if you really want to understand what it's like, then listen to this tape of these guys uh, murdering and raping these two girls. And I guess Scott Glenn listened to less than a minute and was like, I'm fucking out. That's the most And he said he's never, never recovered from it. Yeah. Um, So I don't know the ethics of allowing him to listen to that. Yeah, that's like deeply troubling on so many levels. Yep. Damn. Well, that's like method acting, like, or under, what's the word? Like investigating your role to a level that like, I don't think... It's not worth it, man. Yeah. John Douglas was the FBI agent's name. John Douglas seems like a real tool. Yeah. Yeah. This, the trivia says Scott Glenn thanked him and said how fascinating it was to have been allowed into his world. Douglas laughed and told Glenn if he really wanted to get into his world, he should listen to an audio tape of serial killers torturing, raping and murdering two teenage girls. Glenn listened to less than one minute of the tape and has since said he has since said that he feels he lost a sense of innocence in doing so that he has never been able to forget what he heard. 100% mm-hmm. feel that that's fair. And like also like knowing what 0% about this man that that feels like a, Oh, you think you know what it's like to be an FBI agent? Well, here you go. Like yeah. it almost feels like this like macho, like I'm in a one up yeah. you type thing. And yeah, that's deeply upsetting, but it does speak to like, I, I wasn't originally going to say that piece of <laughs> trivia, but this idea of their world that's so normal in their world that you look at a photo of something incredibly traumatizing and continue mm-hmm. on with your day. Um, yeah. And also going back to I'm now I'm stuck on this whole thing of like they're like the, the gals are going to love this, that it's, you know, violence, horrible violence against women. Yeah. And I think that that's also just like, yeah, very like uh, unsurpri- not I don't I don't want to say unsurprising but like a- another troubling element to it. You know that's something that I was I wanted to talk about because you really like this movie and mm-hmm. I really like this movie and Elliot you really like this movie. I think we all would say we're feminists. Yes. And mm-hmm. people who care about social justice <laughs> and you know those those sorts of things. Um how do we feel about liking things with women being yeah that's such an interesting question because I feel like as I have gotten older I am less okay with watching and like well one thing is I'm less okay with watching movies about like that depict sexual violence in particular towards women I just like I remember being okay with it but then all of a sudden I hit a point where I was like I don't want to watch this anymore I can't um And I also am in a place where I feel a little weird about like true crime stuff because Mm -hmm. it is, you know, a whole industry that is built around like violence against women and marginalized communities. And so it's tough to like get enjoyment from that. But at the same time, I also recognize that I love like, yeah, kind of the icky stuff and the gory stuff. And, you know, so it's. But I, I think what makes this movie different is knowing that you're you're riding alongside Clarice. And I think 100%. without her, that yeah, I don't know if it would hit for Like if for this me. was Will Graham instead of Clarice yeah. Starling. But it's crazy that I love Hannibal, the TV show, as much as I do. But 
maybe that's because I had the foundation of loving oh, yeah. Silence of the Lambs first. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I, I echo what you what you say there. We recently watched rewatched Kill Bill, and I remember thinking mm-hmm. um her like revenge against this man who has been raping her while she's unconscious was like so badass and cool when I was in high school. And now I'm like, why does that even need to be in this film? Mm -hmm. And I feel really, yeah, more and more sexual violence is something that I don't want to see depicted in anything. Um, And we didn't watch Dahmer. Yeah. Because I felt really not good about that. Yeah. I think with this too, that like, like we were talking about it is that it's more implied there are still Mm -hmm. like horrific scenes and really upsetting images but a lot of it is like told to you a lot of it is you know it's written into the dialogue and it's Mm -hmm. less about yeah the like shocking visual depiction of it Mm -hmm. there was a um betty friedan i think she wrote the i think she wrote wrote a really second wave feministy book back in the day but uh, she gave an interview with Playboy in 1992 and said that this movie is uh, not good. Um, this is what she this is what she had to say about it. Uh, Betty Friedan said, and I love that it was in Playboy. There's layers. Yeah, this is. Yeah. Um, she said, quote, I thought it was absolutely outrageous that the Silence of the Lambs won four Oscars. I'm not saying that the movie shouldn't have been shown. I'm not denying the movie was an artistic triumph, but it was about the evisceration, the skinning alive of women that's what I find offensive, not mm. a Playboy centerfold. Oh, wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Also, like, Betty, much, much worse things to come. Oh, Betty Friedan. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think, Elliot, about that? Yeah, I I echo a lot of what you said, Devin. Like, I think, I think that having Clarice as our guiding light through all of this darkness and bleakness, is, it definitely... I don't know if helps is the right word, but it um, it allows us to take the journey and see. And it, I think also by bringing in those moments of her in the elevator or her when mm-hmm. Crawford tells her to wait outside at the funeral parlor and all of these cops are just staring at her. And like the way that when she's trying to take control of the room to get them to leave, the way they don't say anything, but just with their looks that they're conveying and shooting her way, they're like, it's very like, what the fuck are you telling me to do right now? And it's just like, fuck you. Um, so I think like all of this violence against women that's happening and and seeing it through Clarice and her taking it on helps with this journey. But also, yeah, I agree. Like in I don't really like any sort of pop culture. I think that when I was younger, I could just let it kind of just wash like wash past me really easily like yeah the stuff in kill bill or stuff like that like when i was a less critical person and i just wanted to watch movies i didn't really think about it i'm just oh that's awful but Mm -hmm. i i didn't necessarily have language to be like why it was awful and why we don't need that in media and why that it's kind of like we were talking recently in horror movies when they put a child in peril that doesn't that doesn't ratchet up the stakes for us. Like we don't really give a shit. <laughs> like that doesn't make it worse. It's Fuck like them kids. <laughs> Fuck them yeah, kids. Exactly. So um I I don't need a something to be the plot to be driven forward or somebody's um uh reasoning for doing something to be instigated by sexual violence of any kind. 
Mm-hmm. And I and I think that it's fair to say that, like, you know, I think when when people talk about being uncomfortable with sexual violence in, in movies, there's like this other loud voice that is like, well, so we can't make movies about anything. You know what I mean? But yeah. but I think that it's how you're telling it. It's yeah. like what perspective you're telling it from. Like, what does it serve? What is it? What point does it service in the story? And yeah. um, yeah, so like some it's I think that. Some are going to be okay and some aren't. It's like... Yeah, to think about... I don't know if you've seen um, I May Destroy You, like the Michaela Cole HBO Mm -hmm. miniseries, which is pretty much entirely focused on how her life changes after Mm -hmm. an act of sexual violence against her. Um, And it's a story... That's a story that we we need to hear. We do need to hear these stories. Mm -hmm. But it's like, what's... Who's telling the story? How is it being told? And what's the point of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, like, could you imagine this movie if it was, like, so, like, we talked about, we don't really see a lot of Buffalo Bill, like, if it was so focused on, like, the horrific acts itself and, like, seeing these, I mean, we do see a woman in well, <laughs> we <laughs> poor do. Catherine in the well, and, like, you know, it's it's all very heavily implied of what happens to these women, and we see their dead bodies, and that's horrific, but if it really had gone, like, let's go full tilt and, and show him, like, attack. it would have been a completely different movie and i don't think it would have i don't think it would be revered in the way that it is Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i agree yeah and also like i'm curious as to if this movie was written and directed by a woman Mm. how that might have changed certain choices throughout the film or how clarice would have been portrayed how the focus on bill or on uh Hannibal Lecter would have changed like I, I feel like that's that's also like a perspective that we didn't see a lot of in these kinds of movies around this time I could be totally wrong but like I feel like that wasn't necessarily the case it's interesting because one of the things that I find so effective about this film is the way we become as you said earlier Devin like alongside Clarice and not anybody else Mm -hmm. we're alongside her and the camera creates that for us so that when we are in like the many close-up shot reverse shots but like between Clarice and um Hannibal but also between Clarice and like the bug guys um like many moments where she's talking to men the men are looking at the camera directly. Mm-hmm. They're looking at us. And when it's on Clarice, she's looking to the side. Yeah. So we are we are beside her. We are alongside her. And we are being talked at by men like her. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think I forgot, like, obviously, I know that the those that's how a lot of the conversations are framed. But I had a moment where. Clarice has that first conversation with Crawford in his office of like the the extreme like the way that the shot of his face was framed as they were talking was like almost jarring in a way mm-hmm. it was so direct it was so uncompromising it was like yeah it it kind of like set me off for a second of like oh yeah I forgot that that's how a lot of this is framed and I think that that's like such a yeah a little peek into Clarice's world that is so where she's not around a lot of other women and it's very a male dominated field. And it's such an interesting thing to think about, you know, a a crime psychological thriller 
that came out in the 90s and has such an an interesting and I think nuanced perspective of, of a woman, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think yeah. that that's it's pretty neat in that aspect. Because I think even though it wasn't, like Elliot, as you said, like, what if this was made by a woman? I think there is something about Jonathan Demi tapping into her isolation as a woman. Yes. yes. And creating her isolation as a woman that I think is still incredibly relevant today and was really important at the time. And mm-hmm. I'm sure many people have written many academic papers about this and so on and so on. And we're not the first people to mention it, but it's done incredibly effectively and it has something to say, which is why it boggles my mind that they felt like this was going to be a good recruiting tool <laughs> because yeah. it we'll seems to create <laughs> a level of claustrophobia Yes, in being her as a woman in the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. claustrophobia but then also like I mean she it's like she's around other people but doesn't necessarily have like support other yeah. than Ardelia her friend like she's either with you know she's at this very small small woman with all these other men in a small space or she is completely alone by herself yeah. like I think that though that those two ends of the spec the spectrum are like very important for understanding Clarice's experience mm-hmm. yeah and that's a good point too. Like I always kind of, I never really noticed until this time that all of the men or the people that she is talk that Clarice is talking to look dead into the, into the camera and that she's like just slightly off. And I found that really affecting. I've never seen this in the theater, but I can imagine going mm-hmm. to see this when it first came out of just seeing like Hannibal Lecter's face fill the screen. And mm, just how overwhelming mm-hmm. that would feel. And he's staring at you. Yeah. Yeah. Even rewatching it just the other day, like it's, yeah, it's, it's unnerving and it's so effective. And like you want to look away, you want to break the eye contact because it's very intense. Like I don't think Hannibal Lecter blinks the whole time that he's looking into the camera. Yeah. He, <laughs> I read that Anthony Hopkins was inspired by reptiles. Kate, that's so funny you say that because I literally have Anthony Hopkins reptilian. Yeah. Like mm. I have that written down because it's so like, it's his movements. It's that yeah. he's soft spoken. He's not really bl- blinking. He has these sort of like, so, like slow, languid movements. Mm. Like it's very, like almost animalistic. Yeah. And then his, when he does blink, it feels intentional. Yes. Yes. Cause I, I also, I was like looking for, I'm like, oh, I can't remember. Does he blink or not? Like for some reason <laughs> I had in my head that I'm like, he never blinks, but then he does very cl- clearly at the start. But it is like, it's slow and it's yeah. intentional. And I'm like, you think of like a, a Everything lizard. Is calculated. It's yeah, it's chilling. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good performance. And I think every time I'm like blown away by how friggin' good it is. Yeah. It's I think incredible. Everyone in it is so good. Yes. I wanted to ask while we're on this, who is your preference between Anthony Hopkins or Mads Mikkelsen as as Hannibal Lecter? That's such <laughs> an unfair <laughs> question. And I think, you know, I think after because I don't think I've watched Silence of Lambs since I've watched all of Hannibal and I was very firmly in the camp that Mads Mikkelsen was the superior superior Hannibal Lecter but it's also unfair because he has many four, what, three four seasons of TV to like really yeah. flesh the character out but watching this within the first like 10 seconds I was like oh shit yeah. I think they're just totally different Hannibal Lecters true totally like Mads Mikkelsen is so um 
alluring. Yes, there's like such a dark charisma to yeah, him. Yeah, and you're just like, I could see myself being Will Graham and being swept up in this. Oh yeah, instantly. Like, like I'd be so easy. Yeah, like I'm yeah. in love with you. <laughs> be my psychologist. <laughs> you know? I'll do whatever you want. It's fine. <laughs> but I, there's something about Anthony Hopkins' performance that is alluring and off-putting at the same time. And I don't even think alluring is the right word. I don't know what the right it's word is. It's kind of magnetic. Yes, yeah. that is the better yeah. word. Like, I really I really like, and I think it would have been a, a fantastic show, the opening scene of Red Dragon is mm. kind of showing Hannibal like just before he gets caught. Is Anthony but, Hopkins? Yeah. Oh. But he's like oh, having wow. a he's like having a dinner party and he's yes, and he's out yeah. at the orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um and he's making his cannibal puns, which is fantastic. Um but he's magnetic's a good word cuz everybody in his company is just like loves being there and like the food is great, and the atmosphere is great and they're like at and they just seem to be just like swept up in his in his world, but yet he kind of He's like the puppeteer kind of. Mm-hmm. He's just like, I can do whatever I want with any of these people and influence them in any way that I want. So yeah, I, I think that is fair. We got four seasons of Mads Mikkelsen greatness. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is two very different performances, which is great. I, I love that. And I've never seen Manhunter. That was like the Red mm-hmm. Dragon that came out before Silence of the Lambs. I think it was directed by Michael Mann. I mm-hmm. could also just be making that up but i remember my husband does he's he's been like we should watch it because it's really good <laughs> so i don't i don't know if that's yeah i don't know another hannibal lecter in the mix that there I has because there have been some like not great um installments in the uh hannibal lecter verse with anthony hopkins as well right yeah i can't even remember which ones i've seen i know there's one like hannibal there's one is there one just called hannibal I and then there's so, a yeah. hannibal yeah. rising Right. One of them is is very bad from my remem- from my memory, but anyways. Yeah. But Hannibal the show is uh, very good. Yes. Oh yeah, it's super good. So good. Um, what were you getting into? Performances. Just all of the performances. Mm. So, I mean, Jodie Foster as Clarice is. I can't imagine anybody else in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I love so much about Clarice as a character in Jodie Foster's performance is that you can tell that she's scared Mm -hmm. and you can tell that she's afraid. And she has this really like this really impactful balance of like, she does trust her gut and she, you can tell that she's going to be a great detective. Um, but you can see that she's like scared shitless in a lot of moments. And I think that it is also what makes her such a relatable like protagonist too. Yeah. Cause you're like, yeah, that's terrifying. I would also be scared, girl. Yeah. Yeah, and that that you I see in her, and I think I really saw it this time, this attempt to be confident. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's a layer of like she's kind of faking it. And and you can see it. And and that ability to show us that the confidence is shaky. Mm-hmm. And therefore we know that Hannibal can tell the confidence is shaky, and Jack Crawford can tell that the confidence is shaky. And the men at Quantico who jeer her can tell that the confidence is shaky um makes her incredibly relatable mm-hmm. but she doesn't stop like that like none of that deters her like she's determined to see this case through and do what she needs to do i mean the fact that she ends up at bill's place because she does good fbi work and once she recognizes that oh this is buffalo bill this is a dangerous situation 
she doesn't cheese it out of there. Mm-hmm. She's just like very casually like on like her oh, gun. That moment, it's such a good little like. Oh, and then it's like, can I use your phone? <laughs> like, and she, you can tell she's the way she says, uh, "Can I use your phone?" Is like <laughs> so shaky. <Yeah. laughs> it's um, so good. Also, what I wanted, what I forgot to say earlier, but what I really love when we talk about like just like Clarice being really fleshed out is, uh, and you know, it's so just to her whole characterization is I love that she gets to the conclusion and like ends up at Buffalo Bill's home because she has this instinct to like talk to the other women mm-hmm. in Frederica's life, who mm-hmm. was the first girl murdered, third girl found. Um, like, I, I feel like that's something that she just me and I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that like innate thing of like, I'm going to talk to her friend and I'm going to like meet her for coffee and like have this, you know, low key conversation with her and relate to her and get her to open up. And if that had been like a, like a male detective, like would that have gone the same way and would they have gotten to the same conclusion? Something that I've, I've never personally picked up on, but in my reading about it, I believe Jonathan Demi talks about this on the commentary track Mm. that there's an odd, a bit of dialogue when she goes to, it's Frederica, when she goes to Frederica's house mm-hmm. where we, we find out that the male detectives have already been through her room. Yes. But she thinks to look where a woman would hide something. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to say the exact same thing. And Jonathan Demi said that was on purpose, that it's only her with a woman's perspective who would think to look there. And then from there to approach the women who might know. Yeah. Um, so it's very, it, it is very intentional. And Jonathan Demi has talked about that intention. It's very smart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so relatable to like hide something that you don't want your family to see in like <laughs> an old, like childhood heirloom, like the little jewelry box. Yeah. They'll never look back there. Like, mm-hmm. I love that. That's such a good touch. And that yeah. all the men overlooked that. Yeah. Yeah. I love how I love the subtlety of that because I think on the opposite end, something that I, st- I still really love, but is a little bit more in your face. I think of the movie Aaron Brockovich, oh, yeah. where like she goes to all of these people's houses who have talked to so many lawyers and most of them being men who have just kind of dismissed these people's claims and the things that they've had to deal with. And Aaron Brockovich knows what it's like to be a mother who has children and can empathize with these people and is mm-hmm. willing to help them and it just comes from the same place of life as them. Um, and the people that were helping them before that weren't doing that. So again, kind of opposite ends of this, of the spectrum, but it, I felt that this time, like, Oh, she's in this bedroom that they said, like they've been in multiple times, but she thinks to look behind the little like jewelry box sl- mm-hmm. slip thing, whatever. And yeah, it's just so smart. And like this time again, the reveal of, it's so good. It's one of the best reveals of when when Buffalo Bill opens the door and it's Clarice there and it's not the FBI team that's breaking into the house they think is Buffalo Bill's. And then the look on Jack Crawford's face when he realizes mm-hmm. like the first thing he thinks is Clarice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so good. It's, it's so impactful. Moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and I did laugh this time and I have felt found it funny before that the way that Crawford and the other agents like approach that house with that like big box of like flower (laughs) delivery and they're all like hiding behind the van. Like I just it's very funny to me. (laughs) Like it's very not subtle. (laughs) Just an average giant box of flowers for you. But yeah, that is like I think such a good 
oh, it's such a good like bait and switch. Mm-hmm. It's the same as the um, I know you had like such a good reaction <laughs> when you find out that Hannibal is the one in the elevator, yeah. you know, escaping in the way his his big grand escape. I've um, seen the movie so many times and my memory is of just him biting the guy's face. Mm-hmm. And I can't I'm like, how does he get out of this again? And then when I remembered, oh, right, he's got his face. Yeah, yeah. you were so stoked. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's so good. And and again, we don't see it. Like we, the guy falls through the elevator and they all see his face, his no face. Mm-hmm. And we then can make the connection when Hannibal takes the face off. That like they saw that fleshless face. Mm-hmm. Just horrifying. Chris Isaac and all. I know. He turns out not that great of a, uh, what is he, a police officer, SWAT team? I don't know. Yeah. SWAT boy. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how they ever thought it was a good idea to send the police officers into Hannibal's cell. Yeah. But, you know. Into his, like, very beautifully decorated, like, cell in the middle of the room. It's, like, yeah. so lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's the one section of the film that feels connected to Brian Fuller's series. Yes. It's very dramatic. It's very extra. Yeah. Like, mm. yes, of course we have this like luxurious little cell in the, with the spotlight with music on it. <laughs> and your art and even yeah, like the drama of it all. The way that he's like strung up the one cop to look like an angel. Yeah, that feels that very feel, Brian Fuller. Yeah. Very much. Mm-hmm. It's also, it's so great too, because I feel like it, it's that moment where you're like, oh, this is what he's capable of. And yeah. this mm. is why we're supposed to be terrified of him. Like yeah. it really shows how unhinged and like controlled he is in so much of it. Like the scene where he has the billy club and he's like, oh, he's beating the police officer is like it's terrifying. But like he doesn't like his his face just has this like controlled rage. It's just like so. Well, and it, he's waving the baton like almost like he's conducting. You yeah. Know? Like there's there, it, it feels musical and intentional and concentrated. Yeah. And then as a con, I feel like what this film does so well is contrast Hannibal as a serial killer with Buffalo Bill as a serial mm-hmm. killer. And, you know, you look at that. Yeah. This like elegant highbrow tastes that he has even in a cell compared to this like disgustingly grimy mm-hmm. place that um Ted Levine that's his name yeah Ted Levine is living in um with his moths his, oh my gosh and yeah. his well and his um, oh well I mean I guess they're both artists he's sewing yeah yeah very good um seamstress <laughs> yeah like we were t- we were talking about that like you're like skin is probably a hard material to work with. yeah <laughs> like but you know what? we get that one shot of the skin suit it does seem like he's doing a good job of the sewing yes yeah, yeah. so i guess good for him it's um, a craft it, it is, is a craft yeah, it's a craft but he feels completely lacking in control yes yeah. As compared and somebody who like desperately wants to have some semblance of control and yet cannot get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like it's two very different but equally like terrifying things to think about. And yeah. yeah. I, I, well, and I think too the kind of contrast between the two of them is that I I think that 
they do a good job in portraying that Buffalo Bill does not think of people as people. Yes. Hannibal does. I think Hannibal gets off annoying the person that he is going to be yeah. eating. Yeah. And you can tell that he like enjoys people like he's a charismatic person. And mm-hmm. I mean, I love his like fi- one of his final lines to Clarice where he's like the world's more interesting with you in it. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell that he's he's just this like worldly man. Right. And mm-hmm. that's such a good point, too, that um, that uh, James Gum doesn't like there's there's like a disconnect in views. I mean, he refers to. Uh, what's her name? Catherine. Well, girl and well as, as it, right? Yeah, like, it, 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 yeah, it's lotion, like that, yeah. the famous line, like there's just such a disconnect there. Well, the scene, the scene that is the most horrifying to me with Buffalo Bill is when he mocks her screaming. Yeah. 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 And, and just keeps ratcheting it up as he does that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I feel this direct line to Buffalo Bill and that very brief character of Miggs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. where the one time we ever see Hannibal elevated in any way is when Miggs like throws his ej- ejaculate <laughs> onto uh, Clarice, which is disgusting. Horrifying. Um, and he says like, like he's so upset about that. And I feel like he would be equally, he would, what's the word he uses for how Miggs acted? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. But yeah, he would just think it's like so crass. Yeah. I think he would find the way that Buffalo Bill treats Gerlin well to be inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Like disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. I love that we keep referring to her as Gerlin well. Senator's daughter. Poor Catherine Martin. Like, yeah. She also is such a funny character to me, too. Like, I I always love when Clarice finally gets to her and then she's like, you fucking bitch, don't leave me. <laughs> like, that's so relatable on so many levels. Like, Well, even Clarice saying, like, you're safe now. Like, like, you no, cannot not. say that. Yeah. Like, you cannot promise her <laughs> yeah, that. Like, you're yeah. not safe now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a funny moment to me. But um, um, something that we haven't really talked about that I think is like really hard to talk about this film without like mentioning is it's complicated legacy with like trans, like the trans misogyny that is like so embedded in this movie. Mm -hmm. And it's tough because like, I think every time I watch it, I have different or more complicated feelings about it. Um, yeah, how how do we what what yeah, let's start there. I mean, I feel it's such a I feel similar ways about Psycho. Yeah. Because I love Psycho and that seems like one of the most pivotal starting points for this in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Um of like men dressing as women and murdering and, and then then being serial killers Mm -hmm. what is so what I always forget when I watch this film is the scene between Clarice and Hannibal where he says that Buffalo Bill is not transgender Mm -hmm. and I it's interesting to me that in 1991 Jonathan Demme and crew wanted to have that line in there yeah Nonetheless, it doesn't diminish the cultural way that the character of Buffalo Bill has been taken up, which is as a trans or trans adjacent character. Totally. Yeah. There's that line, too, that Clarice says of like, 
I, I mean that the term that they use is like transsexuals and she's like well trans they're very passive like you know and and then there's that it, it does kind of feel like they're like oh we'll add this in so they know that that's not what we're talking about but now I think looking back on it it feels like a little bit of like a like a throwaway that they're like oh it'll be yeah. fine you know what I mean yeah. totally they yeah. wanted to lean into the trope as opposed to saying something thoughtful about any sort of yeah people yeah. yeah. And I what I got on this watch too when um Hannibal Lecter is, you know, pathologizing if you want, like mm-hmm. James Gummin saying like, well he's not a real like trans person. It made me think of like, well what is, right? Yeah. Like because he's been denied. Like it it's very contingent if we really like want to get into this of like it's very contingent on the fact that like he was denied like gender affirming surgery yeah. and like mm. there's this like medicalization of trans people. It's yeah, it's very interesting now to like kind of like yeah. go back on that. Because even to look into their attempt to perhaps minimize the damage of the portrayal is damaging yes Yes. that's such a good point that we can point at someone and say actually you're not trans yeah actually you don't know who you are yeah 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 it's like it almost it makes it more complicated by saying like well they're not a real trans person so it's fine like this is something completely different but then yeah it, it it i think affirms some like very untrue stereotypes about what you know that experience yeah and then tries to make it horrifying yeah yeah, it's also really interesting watching this movie, I think, now when the movie clearly portrays that, like, the most terrifying person is a is a man in a dress, dressing up as a woman, attacking other women. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, like, a really hateful rhetoric right now mm-hmm. about, like, you know, a lot of trans issues, like, um, especially in the States with, like, you know, a lot of laws that are being passed. And so I, it's like, yeah, it's really, like, kind of icky to have that to sit with that and be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's gross. Because no matter what way you take, what the film is attempting to do with that character, inherent in it is that any deviation from gender yes. is wrong. Yeah. Um, and it's tough too because like you don't, I think some movies you can, it, it feels like a cop-out, but just to say like, oh, well, it's just like, it hasn't aged well or it's like a product of its time. But this is so like, deeply embedded in the film itself that it's really hard to like to pull it out and Mm -hmm. but then at the same time you watch it and you're like I can recognize how like phenomenal this movie is and it's just like it's it's a complicated one it really it really Mm -hmm. is and and I and I also think what makes it at least for me even more complicated is that some of the key scenes that present Buffalo Bill's gender fuckery are the most quoted and mimicked mm-hmm. and like mocked. mocked part of parts of the film, right? Like mm-hmm. look at how that's made its way into Kevin Smith's films and yeah. um Family Guy. Yeah, and like, you know, you hear goodbye horses and immediately everyone's saying, like, would you fuck me? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's I don't even think the film needs any of that, right? Like mm-hmm. you take out that element of the film, I don't think you lose anything. Yeah, yeah, it's funny that, like, it tries to portray his body as, like, the most horrifying thing in a movie where there is, like, a plethora of, like, very legitimate, terrifying, you you know, like, it's, it feels weird to be, like, oh, but this is what's supposed to be, like, sick, Mm -hmm. is, like, somebody's, you know, gender experience and, um, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. It could, you're, you're, I agree with everything you both are saying. Um, I, and I think like there's, a, yeah, there's enough fucked up stuff with the fact that he wants to kidnap people and make skin suits that you don't need to get into the gender fuckery of it all and have mm. that be like, it's, I don't know. feels like a hat on a hat a little bit. It's also something that I, I find a hard time reconciling with myself is that I don't think I ever really noticed that part of the film when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I don't think I even realized that that's what Buffalo Bill was doing. I just thought he was a guy killing women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even now watching the film because it's so embedded in my like film subconscious because I've been watching it so long. I don't even remember when the first time I watched it was mm-hmm. I almost just glaze over that part of the film, mm. but it is intrinsic to the film and the way we talk about the film and the history of portrayals of trans and gender queer people within horror films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially horror. Like I think that that is, and there's been so many like really, really interesting and um, cool, yeah, articles and pieces that are written from like trans people, like trans folk on the, like what their experience is like seeing this movie or revisiting it now that, um, yeah. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's a really, it's kind of like a sticky one in like, mm. you know, yeah. pop culture for that reason. Because I think people have like a lot of complicated feelings about it. Yeah. And I think that's fair. Like it is a complicated thing. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I can appreciate the complexity that it adds to the film, but I can also see all of the potential damage that it could do or like complicated is the word of mm-hmm. the day when it comes to that. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say like, we can recognize it for being like an incredible film and also at the same time yeah. hold up that it like contributed and probably maybe even created some like pretty nasty stereotypes. And, you know, like you said, like there's that mockery, I think with um, a lot of like Buffalo Bill stuff and um, yeah, <laughs> this is and all, not to make it about me, but <laughs> like we were talking about goodbye horses when we were watching it. And I like love that song so much. And I was like, oh, I've been trying to sing it at karaoke for forever because <laughs> it's just like such a jam. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember. I think it I think it was you, Elliot, who said like, oh, I wonder if they, they don't play it because like people like like mock it and it becomes like a thing. Mm. I'm like, oh. I just want to sing because I love this song. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so, yeah, inherently tied to it. Yeah. Um, also, not to make it about me, but I had this memory. <laughs> it's a very like uh, six degrees of separation, but Girl in Well is also from Grey's Anatomy. Oh. Are you not a Grey's Anatomy fan? I am a very, I've watched like <laughs> maybe a handful of episodes. So uh, growing up, I mean, like, Grey's Anatomy was on when I was in high school and I would watch it with my mom and my my second oldest sister and she plays a queer character in Grey's Anatomy. And, um, I, the, I remember distinctly the first time I believe it's Dr. Han. Is that her name? Yep. Kisses Callie. I want to say Dr. Torres. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All the doctors. I remember that scene watching it with my mom and my sister and them just shouting like, like in this really catty, but like, ew, like over and over again. And then I had this memory that Devin, you were the first person outside of my close friends and Elliot that I came out as bisexual to. Oh my God. Do you know that? I did not know that. (laughs) Oh my God. I just like, I was like 
coming out to myself yeah. um, and I had had a lot of conversations with you, Elliot, and with our close friend and roommate at the time, but I hadn't really spoken to anybody else. And then yeah. I just like casually said it to you at work one day and you were so cool about it. Oh my God. Wow. So thank you. Oh my God. For well, being thank you cool. for sharing that with me at the time. <laughs> Which also really then cool. blew my mind that that was so long ago. Yeah. Um, because in some ways it's still, it always feels like you're always coming out, but yeah. For um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's really neat. You know, what is funny is I actually have kind of like a weird, like memory of it of like having that conversation and I can picture us behind the yes the we were right by like where you make tea. the tea yes yeah yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I actually remember and I had <laughs> I had the reason I bring it up here is just because I had forgotten that until I had this dual memory as I'm watching Silence of the Lambs with you about that moment watching Grey's Anatomy being one of the key moments where I was like I th- I was very closeted to even myself mm. because being bisexual, if you, if you like boys and that's socially acceptable, that's easier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but that happening with my mom and my sister and feeling so upset about it, like just being so, Oh, that's what they would think about me. Mm. Even if I couldn't really acknowledge that at the time. And then seeing that character and it brought that memory back about how you were so, chill and cool mm. I think you asked some questions but they were very in like the vein of like curiosity yeah. and like wanting to know they, they weren't invasive questions and it was just very very nice wow. which made it okay to talk to more people yeah so. there's so many layers to this so many layers freaking <laughs> silence of the lambs and just the queer layers yeah oh <laughs> my gosh that's really cool wow I'm yeah I love that that um you're just a cool that memory. Oh, you're a very yeah. cool person too. Thanks. So are you. <laughs> oh, yeah, Elliot, you're in this too. <laughs> guys, you're here. Um, did you guys know David Lynch has a cameo in this? Uh, no, no. So who, what, where, when? Apparently, we're in a gym at some point. <gasps> yeah, there was it when they're p- practicing fighting, probably. And he yells, it's a, vo- a voice cameo, Cindy in the ring for Starling. Yeah. With David Lynch's voice. Oh, wow. Wild. So, well, and it, if it's at Quantico at the FBI, I want to assume it's not just David Lynch, but it's Gordon Cole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all yeah. connected. Uh, and George A. Romero also has a cameo in it. He's wow. one of the people who um, comes with Chilton to, like when she's not allowed to be speaking to Lecter. And they come and remove her. He's one yes. of the people there. Yeah. So some cool little cameos. That's so neat. Yeah. That's cool. I think it was through Chris Isaac maybe that David Oh, because we were talking about Chris Isaac being in Firewalk with me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh like the Twin God. Peaks connection. So, yeah. Um, that's very cool. Pretty great though. That's, that's great. So uh, the last thing I want to talk about in what I noticed um, was this has one of the best lines to end a movie ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like Hannibal Lecter saying I'm having an old friend for dinner is <laughs> so fucking good. It's so chilling, but also it's like a pun, so it's really funny. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. And there is like a very like sort of sick satisfaction because like we clearly aren't supposed to love Chilton. Like yeah. he sucks yeah. on so many levels and is just like very icky and it there is like this sort of like sick satisfaction of being like, oh, he's going to fucking die. Yeah, because yeah, Chilton is like almost on the, uh, the what we were saying about Buffalo Bill and how he doesn't think of humans as people. Mm. He's almost there. Like, I feel like that's why he has mm. this job. Mm-hmm. He's very dismissive of the inmates. Oh, it's for sure all about him. 
Oh yeah. He's like, very smarmy. He's such a dink. Um, yeah. So yeah, like getting to see him potentially get what's coming to him is great. But also like the fact that the, the credits linger on that shot of where Hannibal walks away and then just disappears into the crowd is also unsettling because yeah. it's just like, Oh, these people just like walk among us and they're da- some of the most dangerous people in the world. And we just don't know. Anything and we watch that. him disappear and he could, yeah, he becomes like pervasive, right? Mm. Like he can be anywhere at any time. And at, I think um, the TV series does that so well as well with like Hannibal feels all knowing, all present. Yeah. Capable of getting to you and into your head at any time. Yeah. There's that there's no hiding. And even though Chilton feels like he's gone somewhere remote and he'll be safe here and he has all the security that it's like danger is so close and he doesn't even know it. It's mm-hmm. just like such a neat thing. Yeah. Um. My last favorite thing that I noticed is I f- have an, a new favorite character that he's in. He's in. There's a moment that I thought was so unintentionally funny. It's when Clarice goes to the storage unit and there's that very funny old man that is helping her like lift up, trying to lift up, jack up the uh, the door to get into the storage unit. And he's very endearing in of itself, this like yeah. sweet old man. And then he has a throwaway line of like oh I'd ask my driver but he's like uh he hates physical labor (laughs) and then it cuts to like the most surly old man (laughs) sitting in the front seat of a car with a top hat on and like frowning and it's just like a throwaway shot and we never see this man again and I was like I love this man (laughs) I think you said me too (laughs) yeah yeah, same dude same that whole scene is like a very comedic moment in in the movie it's so weird because like like homeboy looks like Mr. Moneybags like he's dressed like such (laughs) a rich old guy he's very cartoonish yes like very like mustache twirly rich guy and then yeah that and then also like Clarice jacket open the door and then laying on the ground and then he, she's just like here's my card so if anything happens you know if 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 this to come down or <laughs> anything else <laughs> it's such a funny delivery from Jodie Foster <laughs> it's such it's it's just this, this moment of levity, levity before we see this guy's head in a jar <laughs> yeah it is like yeah it I, I will say I had that moment of like this is such an odd little scene but I love it it does like kind of break it up in a way mm-hmm. and yeah, that that driver is just my favorite, my favorite person. <laughs> I love that ultimate favorite Sansa Lambs character. Yeah, he doesn't even have a name. Yeah, and but like I just imagine shooting that. Okay, we're cutting to you and look grumpy. Yeah. All right, we can think we got it. I like to think that he was just like pissed he had to be there too that mm-hmm. day. That actor, and that's just his real face. <laughs> I love it. My driver doesn't do physical labor. That's the line. Nope, he same does not. Same. <laughs> so good. Anything else for you, Kylie? No. Nice. That's everything we noticed. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, and there's, yeah, there's so many things. So good. It's it so was good. like, it was really nice to revisit it and just, yeah, have those moments. Cause I, I'm, I'm like you, that moment where we realize that Hannibal is wearing the cop's face. Like, I, I was with you too. I'm like, how does he get out of here? And then I just, the fact that it can still surprise me after yeah. seeing it so many times is so special. One thing I was going to ask, I know the answer for you, Elliot, but Devin, have you read any of the books? I have read just like The Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. which I don't know where, what like number it is in that series. 
Um, but I, I read it shortly after watching it for the oh. first time. Um, so it's been, it's been forever and I remember liking it, but I think it was one of those moments of like, oh, I think the movie's better. Yeah. Um, mm. but, uh, yeah, it was, I remember it was a fun read. I've only read Red Dragon and I remember really, it was a long time ago. I remember really liking it. Um, I own the book, The Silence of the Lambs, but I've never read it. Mm. Um, we talked about how this is like such a fun movie to watch with people for the first time. Mm. Um, and like, I was actually surprised at how like the pace, it's so well paced. There's truly not a moment where it like it lags or anything. And like, you're just in for the ride for the whole time and it goes by fast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's tight too. Like it's, it comes in under two hours, I think. Just barely. I think just shy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think like a wasted moment. No, I don't no. think so either. Maybe the nipple shot. <laughs> yeah. That's, Maybe. You know, when we talk about the most horrifying scene, a close up of a nipple is always <laughs> not <gonna be>. easy. <laughs> so, <laughs> nipple jump scare. Oh, and it always like something that even when I was little and I, I and I saw this for the first time, little, <laughs> I think I was a little bit bigger than little. But um, it, the moment where they go and to and they are examining the body and taking photos of the body i always thought it was so funny that they put the like little like scent cream stuff underneath <laughs> yeah. each nostril but like everybody has their own unique way of doing it yes like one guy does like full like just kind of hitler mustache smear across the whole upper bit crawford does like one under each and then Clarice turns around to like apply hers. So, and, and it's I, very small. She just does like little dainty mirror. Like. But I like that she kind of turns around and embarrassed. Like it seems like embarrassment or self-consciousness. And then it's like Clarice come look at this. And it's like this very dramatic reveal of like. And it's just her with these two like schmears underneath but her nose. Almost got milk, you know. Yeah, a little bit. That's good. Okay. Let's talk about what stuck with each of us after watching it this time. Kylie, what's up with you? Okay, so this is where I'm going to get into the, where you said you felt if this movie had been made today, we would have seen more of Ardelia. Um, what really struck me this time was that she's a student. I don't mm. think it had ever really hit me before yeah. that she's a student. And what hit me with that is that combination of her being somebody who is not fully an agent yet, and she's the only woman. I know she's not because of Ardelia, but... This time around, I really saw how the film purposefully demonstrates how men want things from women mm. through all of these different characters. So Crawford wants her to do work he doesn't want to do. Yeah. And there's this implication from Lecter that perhaps he wants something sexual from her as well. And the film leaves us kind of ambiguous on that. Mm -hmm. Like if he has a sexual attraction, like if Crawford has a sexual attraction to his student. Yeah. Um, and he's a superior to her. How, you know, the bug guy wants a date. Yeah. And Lecter wants her trauma. He wants her fear. And the men at Quantico want to get her out of there. They want to shake her up and they want to prove that they are better than her. And in, those, in that context, those very brief moments with Ardelia feel like relief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'd ever felt that before. Do, do, do those moments feel like a break from the intensity of what she's being put through to you two as well? Yeah, yes. I think the best example is when she, there's a shot where Clarice is like in a bathrobe and she's like drying her hair and she's like talking to Ardelia about 
um, I don't know. I remember what they're talking about, but it's like a very vulnerable moment for mm. Clarice. Like we see her in like, she's not in her business attire. She's not in her like police training uniform. She's just like in a bathrobe. Like she just showered and she's chatting with her pal. And yeah, it's like a, it's like a peel back the layers type of moment, but it does feel like if there's any moments where you feel safe, it's when they're together. And there's so yeah. few and far between yeah. that that just heightens that feeling of isolation, that mm-hmm. feeling of, you know, we talked earlier about how Jodie Foster does such a good job of playing Clarice as, as fearful and as wanting to be conf- confident and competent. And she is all of those things, but she's not sure if she is. Yeah. Um, and when she's with Ardelia, it's someone speaking to her like an equal. It's the one time where the camera is looking at me that I feel safe instead of judged or, or like, like the scenes where he, that, the bug guys asking her on a date are incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. Like she's there to do her job and here he is trying to get her to go on a date with him. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the movie draws this continuum between Miggs throwing his sperm on her mm. and Crawford getting her as a student to go and talk to Hannibal Lecter alone. Yeah. And not even being like truthful about what she's doing yeah. there too. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like the, I actually think there's a there's a really strong purpose in having Ardelia in it as little as she is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yeah, you wonder like what how the movie would have changed if there would have been more of their dynamic and I it's like other women in general in this movie mm-hmm. like that aren't in peril mm-hmm. in a well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I totally agree. Like I in all of those moments it you can feel Clarice's ease in that mm-hmm. like yeah like she's like in her robe like literally kind of letting her hair down and like giving us the audience that moment to kind of breathe and regulate before we get thrown back into it and having somebody she can talk to about like her theories and what's going on without having to put on the bravado yes yeah yeah that's such a good point and like prove herself to um, therefore, I think that those moments being so so small, if one of the key like points of this film is to create that sense of isolation and perhaps look at like gender oppression in the workplace and the world mm-hmm. through the character of Clarice, we we need that role to be small. Yeah. Um, and it, and within that, you know, the funny little she turns around as she puts the stuff on her face that feels gendered to me. Yeah, like she's turning around while she changes. Mm. And the men don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so much of like we said earlier is of Clarice is that she's alone and she clearly has been alone. Like she talks about after and I'm sure we'll talk about this when we switch to daddy mode, but um, <laughs> that she's kind of been on her own since her her dad passed. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, it's important to show that she does have like people in her corner, but that she doesn't have access to that in in her work and that is like scary in of itself too like she's really going it alone and she's being even though it's quote unquote a good opportunity to help out Crawford and Mm -hmm. will probably do you know it'll benefit her in the long run career wise but it's like it's really scary and she's she's doing it it alone Mm -hmm. yeah because I I feel like at least for me I can totally relate to that idea of just turning on your work self and at 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 the detriment of maybe what's best for you mm-hmm. just to appease the other people you work with to mm-hmm. get a promotion make more money 
to get considered for projects or whatever whatever it is like you gotta you gotta kind of play the game and like you kind of said earlier like fake it till you make it a little Mm bit um so yeah like i mean that's that's kind of what stuck with me is this time around it's just clarice working so hard um at the detriment of herself Mm -hmm. so much throughout this movie um for as badass as she is, and she's probably one of my favorite characters in in film. Like I, I, I feel like the way that she's presented and the way we see the world through her eyes is is really incredible. But yeah, just seeing how hard things are for her, and that she puts things aside that she shouldn't have to put aside in some in some regard. But yeah, I, I, I really was drawn in by her complexity on this view on this viewing of the movie and I, and everything that you said too like that that even gives me a, a new perspective on it too which I really really like mm-hmm. so, yeah yeah I mean I think I've said it a, a few times like we've talked a lot about just yeah Jodie Foster as Clarice and I think having not watched this in a couple years it's easy to think of her as being yeah she's kind of that character has cemented herself in film canon as being one of like the all time greats for like female protagonists. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it's really easy to think of Clarice as like tough Mm -hmm. and like brave. And I think on this viewing, I really like really connected with that feeling of, yeah, her isolation of her being terrified. And also this like idea, like she, yeah. Like, could she have said no to like Crawford, like being an old one of, clearly the only women in this program, like what would that have done for her education and her career? If she would have been like, I don't like, clearly she's keen to do it, but like there is that assumption of like, you have to do what you have to do and it sucks and it's not fair. And, and am I remembering this correctly in that Crawford picks her because she's Lecter's type? Mm. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I feel like there is an element to that. It is very purposeful that it is Clarice. I think there's an element to that. Crawford recognizes that she is fucking smart. Yeah. She's great at what she does. And so there's that element of like, he probably want, this is somebody, somebody he can mentor. Yeah. Um, there's that element, but I think there's also an element too of like, I think Lecter will like really like that. I'm sending this small, beautiful young woman to go talk to him and, and then in that question of like, can she say no? And and calling back to Devin, what you talked about at the start of this, where you said, you know, the older you get, the the less of a tolerance you have for sexual violence. Mm-hmm. And I was really bothered in a way I hadn't been on previous viewings in the moments where Lecter says sexual things to her. Yeah. It's really deeply upsetting Mm -hmm. and she can't do anything but just like brush it off she can't say no she can't say that's inappropriate she can't stop it which feels like a microcosm of yeah everything yeah and she's she is so good too at like deflecting and playing along in a Mm -hmm. way like she yeah like we said she's great she's clearly proving that she's like good at this um even when she's not like even mm-hmm. when she says something when Lecter's like that was the wrong thing to say like she's good to recover and you mm-hmm. can see but she's green right mm-hmm. um and I don't want to like take away her agency and being like could she have said no like she was forced to do this but like I think there that's something that you really can't ignore when you think about her position and what type of like power was she working within and in, in this 
Yeah, you know, it's extracurricular that she's been assigned. <laughs> yeah. We a love a fun little side project. We love to talk about therapy. One of the things that my therapist often says to me is like, you have all of the options. You could quit your job. Mm-hmm. You could punch a family member in the face. Like you could do any of those things. So even when you say no, you're making a choice. Um, but you also can't forget like the societal yeah. constructs that limit why you would or would not make that choice. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that this film through the character of Clarice really highlights that. Yeah. Whether that was intentional or not. Mm. Yeah. Like she, yeah. Like not to her, she's going to go into the basement. She has to go into the basement. There's no other option, even though there are options to leave to go call for backup. Yep. But she, she's going to go into that basement Mm -hmm. and risk her life. (laughs) It was interesting too. Like when you were saying like, like on that whole piece of, Crawford saying that Clarice would be Hannibal Lecter's type. And then she goes there and Hannibal, like when she gets there, she calls him sir and she's Mm -hmm. really respectful of him. And Dr. Lecter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then as soon as like she says some, like she wants to get down to the reason that she's there and he's like, you were doing so well. And then how quickly like he, he tries to break her. Like he comments on her like shitty shoes and her perfume or whatever. And Those like moments, like her cheap bag. I kind of, it's such a good the way he says it with your, what is it? Your good bag and your cheap shoes. I love the way he says it though. But <laughs> oh, it's like, so it's good. such a read. It's so interesting because like, it's, it's such an, you're still as the audience, if you haven't seen it before, you're starting to learn the limits of Hannibal Lecter because what Miggs does is deplorable. And he is, he wants to apologize for the, that experience that mm-hmm, LeCurlerese just had. Of it all. Exactly. Yeah. But Hannibal Lecter can comment on her appearance and be a, a total doink to her. And, um, and, and that's okay. And again, like to Clarice's credit, like she, like we've said, she endures it even though she, she really probably shouldn't be there. She- yeah, there's some ethical questions. I have some questions for Mr. Jack Crawford, ethically. <laughs> the FBI, I guess, I, I read, was really unhappy with her going to the house because they said that would never happen. Mm-hmm. Like a like a trainee. A trainee would yeah. never be allowed to do any of that on their own. And I guess in an earlier version of the script, she had been like let go or or not maybe not like or like reprimanded or put on suspension mm. for going to talk to Lecter when she wasn't allowed therefore making it that when she went to his house she was doing it on her own yeah i do kind of get that vibe though because i felt like you know when she's talking to frederica's friend she's kind of like following her own hunches and then yeah. sort of finds herself in way like it's a good lead and she's following the correct yeah. leads that other Even people she are technically missing doesn't have permission yeah she's it. just doing some groundwork but then all of a sudden like St- not to like discredit her good detective work, but kind of like stumbles too quickly to the end. Yeah. Right. Like, so I kind of viewed it as like, she shouldn't be there, but she's in much more danger than anybody anticipated. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That perhaps no one, she would have been stopped had they known. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like at the end of the day, Clarice is really good at her job and, yeah. mm-hmm. and who she is. Um, and it, like, as soon as she figures out the stuff, the stuff at Federica's house, he, she calls Crawford immediately and it's like mm-hmm. he's making he's 
making skin suits or whatever. Yeah, and they're like, we got him. Wrong, yeah, right? we already found who he is. And yeah. There, yeah. And he like commands her on the work that but she's done. But just keep go talk to that lady. Yeah, yeah you do. You doing your little yeah. detective work. We're gonna go catch, we'll go the, go bad catch guy. the bad guy. <laughs> but like, I, if I feel like as soon as she realizes that Buffalo Bill is Buffalo Bill, and she can choose to fight or flight, essentially follow, yeah. follow him into the basement, or yeah, make a phone call, or go get help, or whatever it is. Like, she's making that decision as a an experienced rookie FBI agent. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like the decision she makes to go into the basement isn't necessarily an FBI agent decision. It is a human decision. Mm -hmm. I want to, I have to save this woman that's in the well. Yeah. And I need to stop this man from hurting another woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me, like as soon as I love the detail of her just dropping her jacket in, in the kitchen. Cause she's like fucking game on. Like this guy isn't doing anything more. Like I'm going to get him Mm -hmm. and this is going to end today. That's just human thinking. That's mm-hmm. that's instinct. That, at least that's what I felt. This yeah. Time. And I think that there is that's something that is really interesting, too, with a couple things that happen in this movie is that like human element of like you don't really fault Catherine for doing for getting in the situation that she does. Like it's a human thing to have seen somebody in need and and offer to help them out. Right. Like by getting into getting into the van and Mm. I mean we all see it coming a mile away Mm -hmm. but in that moment it's like a human thing and I think that that's a nice reflection in what Clarice does in in going into the basement of like well I'm gonna help somebody because like that's what I do Mm. and Catherine was like I'm gonna help somebody like Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so I like that a lot also I listened to American Girl on the way here just as an aside because I freaking love that song this movie has two great needle drop moments of American Girl introduction to Catherine Martin. She's singing along to Tom Petty, smacking her um, steering wheel. Steering, I forgot what it was called. <laughs> <laughs> that thing in the, the car. The thing that makes you drive in the car. Uh, such a great introduction and like, wow, what a way to like set her up as being like, this could be anybody. She literally is an American girl, right? And mm-hmm. I love that introduction. And on the way here, I was totally jamming out being like, oh, this song slaps. I love that song. <laughs> so I, good. Um, Elliot nudged me when we were watching it with his foot because I like to bug him and sing the chorus like really obnoxiously oh, in his face. Like yeah. I love the, I love the make it last, make it last all yeah. night. I just think it's so good. And I love that Catherine <laughs> does that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love so that relatable. Song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, so it is. That's a jam. It's so good. <laughs> Very good. Okay. I did. Uh, I did want to ask because this is horror or at least horror adjacent. What is the scariest part for each of you? Mm, great question. Um, I mean, I think the night vision goggles is like mm. a master class of like tension. Mm-hmm. It's so good. There's no, like it's quiet. And we really see Clarice at her most vulnerable, but like still, like still going for it. And it's just that idea of like, like with so much of the danger in this film is it's right there. Mm-hmm. yeah when he fucking reaches out Ugh. and then pulls his hand like the thing that i do every time that i've watched it as an adult and i did it again this time when we rewatched it is you have to kind of actively remember that clarice is in pitch black 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. She can't see anything and she's never been in this basement before. Like she mm-hmm. could fall down the well. That is what I'm thinking. Like she could be the girl in the well. <laughs> very oh quickly. God. Like, or in that like awful bathtub. <laughs> oh, there's so yeah. many things to fall into. And she like burns herself on the furnace or whatever or, yeah. or on the heater. Like she doesn't know where she and Jodie Foster's so good at just like she's shaking yeah. and holding the gun. And there's up. like so many things, even though we know that Buffalo Bill can see her. There's so you're just like, don't knock anything over. Like, don't like there's that element, too, of like you can tell she's trying to be so quiet, but she also can't. Like, she doesn't know that yeah. you can see her. Yeah. Ah. Oh, that's such a good scene. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the first thing I thought of, too, is that whole sequence. Yeah, you just, It just makes you hold your breath. Like, it's so it's so good. What about you? The part in the film that has always bothered me the most is when Lecter touches her. Oh, yes. The little finger. The close up on his finger. Yeah. I also really, I'm always deeply uncomfortable when they pull the cocoon out of the mouth. Oh, yeah. Like, it's really, like when you hear her say there's something in her mouth, in her throat or. Yeah. It's like a stomach drop feeling of like, oh, fuck. I also like when, when they take, when Bill takes Catherine is so upsetting. Oh it yeah. It's so, yeah, like yeah. like just seeing that whole moment play out in kind of a one shot of him making her back into the van mm-hmm. and essentially pinning her with the chair into the back while he beats her unconscious and then like casually closes the doors and then like cuts open her dress and you see her t- him touch her skin like that is profoundly upsetting. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's horrific. And it's and she's so close to safety. Like mm-hmm. she's so, yeah. she's like so, her cat's in the window. Yeah, she's she's there. You know what's so funny is I just finished reading. This is kind of an aside. I just finished reading, um, the Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule about her relationship with Ted Bundy. And I mean, I didn't I didn't know a lot of details about um Ted Bundy, and that was such a thing that he did too. Was mm-hmm. like have the cast on and like get people get women to help him with things and really exploit the good nature of a lot of good people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean that I had kind of forgot that that was like a parallel there. And um, yeah, uh, the going back to the, the finger touch though, that uh, when he just brushes her hand with his finger in, in that moment, it's like, it's so interesting how such a small thing can feel so violating. Mm-hmm. And then you also have this moment of like, as a human being, like what is like Hannibal Lecter? Like, what is he, craving from that touch like Mm -hmm. it he is locked away he's isolated he doesn't have human contact he doesn't feel fresh air ever and like that moment is so like it's probably fucking everything to him it's it's probably very sexually charged it's probably very like the last moment of human contact in a non-murdery way if that makes sense because does that happen when he's in his like art installation cage Mm -hmm. is it when like he gives her back the, files. the case files and she breaks away from all the cops and runs grabs back it. and grabs it. And, and then I think does. he says something to her too of like gives her a piece of info and then and then delicately touches her hand. It's like that also could lead to like that could be like the trigger point of him being like, okay, I'm going to kill these cops and I'm going to mm. escape from here. Yeah. Like that could yeah. be like he's had human contact and he's like, i I think he's been planning it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, well, the pen, too. Yeah. Like, when you see the pen, Crawford leave the pen, mm-hmm. that's like... Or Chilton. Chilton, yes, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. But in retrospect, yes. him knowing he's going to get out of there, that touch echoes the call at the end of the film of this, I want you to know I can get you. Mm-hmm. I want you to know I can touch you. 
Yeah. I want you to know I can find you. I want you to know I can get in your head. Yeah. Do you think too, like, I totally get that too, but I've always sensed it like a bit of a risk. I don't know if respect is the right word that Clarice or that Hannibal feels towards Clarice, but almost like a, like a fascination in a way. Yep. There's something about Clarice that fascinates Lecter in a way that other people don't. Yep. And I think too that that moment feels there's almost like a sick sort of tenderness to it. Yeah. That yep. like he, yeah, like you do feel that there he wouldn't go after her, mm. but what what a what about her does he think about? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's very it's very weird. It's icky. It's so icky. It's this so film is icky. very icky. Yeah. Yeah. And where we leave, um, where we leave Clarice, where she's on the phone, just like say like Dr. Lecter. Mm-hmm. Dr. Lecter. It reminds me very much of the end of Carrie. Because it's doing like a pull-out kind of thing. And it's like when we see Sue on the bed freaking out after she has the nightmare. Like that's kind of the vibe it has where we're like pulling out and seeing like this woman who's just kind of like what like she's kind of taken aback and Clarice seems scared. Like mm-hmm. in that moment the face that Jodie Foster has on se- seems fearful yeah and there's that line too she, that she says to Ardelia where when they find out that Lecter has escaped from his art installation and is on the run where she says I can't explain it but I don't think he'll come for me mm-hmm. and it's yeah it's like this weird like mutual understanding that I don't think either of them could ever really explain mm-hmm. it's a Batman yeah. Joker thing oh yes yeah, because I think it's easier for Clarice to say that when she knows that Lecter is or had he, has he escaped at that point when she's talking to Ardelia? Yeah, because yeah. they Ardelia says like, oh, he killed everyone in the ambulance and killed a random tourist. Right. And OK, yeah, he's going to come for you. And she's like, no, I don't think you will. Yeah, <laughs> she doesn't say it as nonchalant as that. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, we're cool. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> OK, cool. Let's uh, let's switch into, as you put it, daddy mode. Yeah. Daddy mode Daddy engaged. Mode. Yeah. <laughs> Father mode. Okay. So in answering the question, how is dad relevant to this film? Dad is pretty relevant to this film yeah. with literally Clarice and her dad. Yeah. And you know, it's so, oh my God, my <laughs> mic. It's so interesting because I remember when I, when we decided on this movie, I was like, this is going to be so great to talk about. And then I remembered the theme of the podcast and I was like, oh shit. Oh, like I had I was like I don't know if I can full pull anything from this but then as we were watching it I was like oh oh there's so much dad in here yeah we have come to realize dads in everything dads are everywhere like you'll think ah oh, there, there's no dad stuff in this nah yeah. there is yeah yeah all comes back to dad <laughs> um I mean Clarice the essence of who she is is like it's her relationship with her dad and like following in his footsteps and wanting to like honor him and um and then eventually leading yeah to those feelings of like isolation and not really having anybody to support her like her relationship early relationship with her dad and then lack of relationship because he's passed is like fundamental to who she is yeah it seems like his death the loss of her father cleaved her life yes yeah yeah well it's it's so interesting because like I feel like in that moment, and maybe I might be mixing up the timeline a little bit, but the first time she goes and sees Hannibal Lecter, it's very upsetting. The stuff with Migs happens. She leaves, and then we cut to a flashback of her seeing her dad yeah. show, come home from work. And then when we cut back to her, she's crying at her car. Mm-hmm. 
So it's almost like it feels like even though it's pretty early in the movie, there isn't really anybody protecting Clarice or seemingly looking after her best interest after, especially after she's committed this or see been a part of such a heinous thing with Migs and this conversation with Hannibal Lecter that she just wants to feel safety. She wants what I get from it is that she just wants her dad. Yeah. Like she wants to be comforted and she, and then it's like, that's really heartbreaking cut to her just like sobbing alone on the side of her car and like, yeah, and also too, it's so interesting that that's like such a public way to cry, mm-hmm. and like it's not like she's in her car, or she's driving away crying, like she's publicly in a parking lot, like breaking down, and is so alone, mm-hmm. and it's really sad. Well, and it's, I don't feel like I'd ever really given much attention to the that part of the story, like her yeah. dad being dead. Yeah, we've talked a lot about how she's surrounded by men who don't really seem to care about her, just like what she can offer them. Mm -hmm. And through those flashbacks, her father wasn't that he was somebody who cared for her and comforted her, set an example for her. And then when I think about like, how is dad relevant to this film? I think about how the power of dad is a potentially dangerous thing Mm -hmm. because she had, he is the only man we see in the film who is a source of comfort. Mm-hmm. Every And the movie is mostly men. Yeah. And I think it's very um, like in that vein that um, when we think about Catherine, she's only ever framed in relation to her mom. Like yep. there's no, there's no it's dad. her dad who was skiing. Who did they talk to on the ski? Hill? Oh, I think just, did they say the president? Oh, the president. Okay. He's, well, the he's, dad. he's America's dad. <laughs> Honestly, though, right? Yeah, no, but it's like very, yeah, that's such a good point that the only like supportive, caring male presence in this film is her dead dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And since his loss, she's never found that. And, yeah. and where I came to is my, in my like, trying to sum it up in how is dad, re- dad relevant to this film is that Clarice is being forced to parent herself. Yeah. She's being forced to be her own comfort, her own guide, her own mentor. Um, yeah. I think that's like very much like inherent in Clarice's character is that she's had to go it alone a lot of the way. Mm-hmm. And that's just, she's built up this resilience and she's probably got a bit of a steely exterior, but that's what makes her such a cool character is we know that there is that other side to her. Right, that that needs to be supported as we all do. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's funny too, because I, I feel like Clarice is somebody that like like all of us would benefit from therapy because <laughs> I think that Hannibal makes Clarice confront her trauma and talk about the trauma that she's experienced in her life, which is something I don't think that many people have asked her about. I get the vibe that nobody's asked her about it and she hasn't talked about it or spoken about this stuff that she's experienced in her past. So it's, it's obviously like drudging up a lot and then it nets out in a place where she feels okay when Hannibal Lecter breaks out of prison. So yeah, there's like that, that this complicated piece too. where like, yeah, I just feel in, in all of it, she needs to unpack her dad trauma a little bit. Mm-hmm. Dead dad <laughs> stuff, I tell you. Um, yeah. So in answering the question of who is the dad character, I I have probably some controversial thoughts on, on who this Uh-oh. might be. But bef- before we get to that. Is it the driver? 
<laughs> totally. Yeah, of course. That's everyone's dad. <laughs> yeah. He is somehow both all of us and all of our dads. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I'll get I'll get into it. So I I kind of reframe this in my mind a little bit because I, I can't remember which one of you said it, but there it, it's insinuated by by somebody that Crawford has a sort of I don't know romantic relationship. Hannibal, I think he says it to get under right. her skin, but yeah. yeah, with Clarice. But I actually didn't see it that way. I saw Crawford as more he ta- like. I kind of saw him more as a potential dad character, and, he, and so you're just reading Lawrence Fishburne into him. <laughs> I won't lie; I had to I had to actively separate the two because he's a, he is a dad character. Oh yes, that that version of Crawford mm-hmm. is the dad. Yeah. Is, yeah, big time, big big dad energy. So, and, and here's here here are the receipts <laughs> for, for why I <laughs> okay, think let's get into this. Crawford, <laughs> all is, right, is Zoomer. Dad. So. He, I feel like he takes, he does take responsibility for Clarice. Like I feel at first, yeah, it's, it's shitty that he sent her there with ulterior motives. Um, but, and like he kind of jabs at her, um, when he did invite her into that room when they go to the yeah, he's like, funeral parlor. It's nothing, don't think, like he kind of brushes it off, but also on a side, I love that she's like, no, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, so I feel like while he is, he plays a bit of a minor, a more minor role in the film. By the end, the look on his face when he realizes Clarice isn't where she should be, it's just panic, mm-hmm. and he's just like, "Oh shit!" Like I need to, I need to get to her, and he comes to her little uh, graduation ceremony at the end, and he seems like he only came for her because he cheeses it right after she goes up and gets her certificate or whatever all these other students are walking up and he's like see ya clarice see got her yeah that is big dad energy <laughs> yeah sneak out of the theater once your performance is done <laughs> yeah big time um but i also feel like in a way he is supportive and trusts that clarice is self-sufficient and like doesn't need hand-holding he knows that she's capable. He knows that she's smart. I don't think he would have sent her to Hannibal Lecter to begin with if he didn't believe these things about her. Yes, the comment about her being his type, not great. I'm not saying he's a perfect dad. <laughs> um, but I also liked in that moment um, in the car where after after they go to the funeral par- parlor where he turns around and he's just like, that comment I made really burned you, didn't it? And then mm-hmm. she, like, yeah, like you said, like just fully is like, yeah, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like he responded well to that and he's just like, yeah, noted. Okay. And I feel like that's the turning point in their relationship. Yeah, yeah. It's a small moment, but I think it's a big one. He's like, I'm learning. You do <laughs> learning see how him to not be shitty. To, am I, I think I'm correct in this. Um, when when like everybody has now made it to the crime scene at the end of the film, like to where Catherine was being held, he puts his arm around her in a very like protective way. Yeah. Like a mm-hmm. very dad way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of was firmly in the, like in the middle of like, do we think of wanting him to romance Clarice versus like, does he just care about her as like, a stu- like, is there that fatherly energy? And I think it, I kind of sense like a little bit of both from him mm-hmm. in that he does like respect her and like care, like care about her as like a student and like somebody that he's mentoring. But there is this like 
there does seem to be this like sort of sexual energy coming off of him of like maybe he he respects her and he sees that she has a big career of her ahead of her but he he maybe there I feel like there is an attraction from him to Clarice that she doesn't reciprocate and I think that it creates a bit of like a weird aura around yeah. him I I also get like you can read that arm around her at the end of the film in As, two ways. Yeah, right? totally. Um, and also to their like handshake at the end, yes. like it linger. There's like a lingering moment there. And I think it's a it's a thing of like there's that attraction. But I don't think that he at that point would act on it. Which again creates that continuum from the way Lecter touches her. Yeah. The way he touches her, like the way all these men speak to her. Mm-hmm. Like there's these different layers to it mm-hmm. and it's all complicated. Yeah. It, well, yeah, the, like we've said, the movie revels in ick. So <laughs> a lot of ick. So like it, again, trying to, cause I think you're right. Like, I think that it does kind of live in both, of those, both of those vibes, but like when looking at it through like the dad perspective, if we're wanting to think of Crawford as a fatherly figure to Clarice, like, we've been reminded of her relationship with her dad, who was like, I think a sheriff or a high up person in the police department that he worked for. So she Mm. looks up to these men in authority and wants to um, please them. Sounds gross, but like look, be looked at highly and regarded highly in their eyes. She wants someone to be like proud of her. Exactly. And I think for a dad. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that that's what that, last the the last moments with Crawford are yeah. um yeah. Yeah. A generous reading I think <laughs> I think there is a good parallel though when you talk about her leaving the the jail after having that horrible moment with Miggs and Hannibal and and crying and sort of being by herself and then reflecting on her dad and mm. then coming out of the house and having somebody there for her yeah. mm-hmm. I think is like yeah and it's like a nice way to be like at least she's got someone in her corner now um, also, I will say that, like, I've never really noticed that I've never, like, been, I'll just say it. Drag Crawford hot in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, I never thought so. And then it, when I saw him, kind of way. Yeah, I was like, yeah. this mm. is a Dilfy man. Yeah. Like, you ever watch The Leftovers? No. Okay. He's in The Leftovers. He's not mm. a Dilfy man in The Leftovers, but. But his son is. Yeah. He's mm. Justin Thoreau's dad in oh. The Leftovers. Yeah. This Jack Crawford is certified hottie. Big time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, mm. I was, I was feeling that, and I hadn't before. So I okay. I'm glad we're should, on the same. Yeah, page we're reaching that. that point in our lives where we yeah. are looking at the 40 to 50 year old man. So would you say he's the most uh, most dilfy of Jack Crawford's? Because there's Lawrence Fishburne from Hannibal, there's uh, Scott Glenn, and then Harvey Keitel in Red Dragon is. I got a weird Jack thing Rock. for Harvey Keitel. I don't really? I can't know who that is. Okay, he's uh in Reservoir Dogs. Who is he in that? Um, Mr. White. Oh, yeah. this guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. I, got, I got a weird thing for Harvey. He's also that. the bad guy that. in the movie Monkey Trouble. There's <laughs> a picture of him here though, where he fully looks like the guy from the room. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> like you're not even kidding. For, no. for the benefit of like audio only, this is like a Tommy Wiseau costume. Yeah. I will we'll put it in the in the show notes Holy so we should see this because I was like, Dev. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So the room is your Oh yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, there's, yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah. That the dads are everywhere. The DILFs and the dads. The yes. DILFs and the dads. The daddies and the dads. So who, okay. So Crawford, a little bit of a eyebrow raising take for the dad in this film. We don't usually um, name a dad in the daddy deep dives, Elliot Cuss. But but like who who in terms of who's the dad character? We don't do that. <laughs> we can do we? I have it in my. Oh, I don't have it in mine. Did I? Was it in yours? Who no. is the dad? It's just what it was. Just... Yeah, it's like it just says how is dad real? Oh, who is the dad character? Oh shit! It is. Oh, oh so there we go. Somebody, so, so somebody didn't somebody's, do their homework. Somebody's eating their words. Yeah. Oh damn! Who I, is I the didn't... dad character? Oh. Um. Think of this on the fly. Like. Thank you. Can you say it a little bit louder into the mic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elliot, because I am sorry. I mean, we haven't talked about somebody who exudes a very calming energy, which is the character of Barney, um, who is the attendant. He works in the prison. He's the one that mm. welcomes mm. Clarice and sort of sets her up and is like, yeah, I'll, I'll be here if you need me. I get very, actually, if we talk about one other comforting presence in the movie, it's him. Yeah. Um, Love that character. Even though our introduction to him, for as nice as he is, is kind of unsettling because we're doing like this. It's kind the of pan, pan, and his face is right there, and he hasn't been speaking this whole time. <laughs> and then when Clarice, who I assume that's our POV, yeah. we finally get to him. Hi, I'm he's, Barty. He's just like staring. At her. <laughs> yeah, he is the only other like comforting presence in the movie, but I don't think he gets enough screen time to truly be considered a dad. Yeah, um, that's fair. Could Clarice herself be a dad? I'm I'm gonna come back to that. that like I think Clarice is her own yeah. dad. Is she as she carries like the memory of her father with her, and I think carries that with her into the work that she does mm-hmm. and the way she becomes that protective person for the women she's trying to save. Totally. And I think this film is really good ab- ab- about saying like Clarice is competent, she's capable, she's strong, but she deserves to be supported. Like yes. she can go it on her own. We yep. know that, but she there is that human element of yeah. her that needs to, that wants to be protected and cared for and and she deserves that and yeah. Yeah. I also think Jodie Foster is the goat. Um I was reading her Oscar speech. She's so funny. Do you do you, do you all know her Oscar speech for this? I don't think so. Okay, it is, I mean, knowing from our vantage point now that she has come out, yeah, it is such a powerful speech. So she said in it, I'd like to dedicate this award to all of the women who came before me who never had the chances that I've had, and the survivors and the pioneers and the outcasts and my blood, my tradition. And I'd like to thank all of the people in this industry who have respected my choices and who have not been afraid of the power and the dignity that that entitled me to. Holy oh, yeah. God, that is so freaking chills. Cool. It's so good. Um, yeah. I mean, this will go like it's one of those performances that I think with also the, like also with Anthony Hopkins and Ted Levine, too, that like they are performances that have taken on a life of their own yeah. and are like almost like par- they, they can be parodied. Mm-hmm. We view them as like caricatures now. But like when you actually go back and watch this movie, you're like, these are phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, there's no denying that part yeah. of it. It's, and did y'all know that she was like the, the 
Jodie Foster's performance as Clarice was a key inspiration for the character Scully in the X-Files. I Checks don't out. doubt it. it for yeah. a second. As soon as I read that, I was like, oh, Pants, of suits and all. Yeah. And Scully is awesome. <sighs> yes. Truly one of my favorite like pop culture. A hundred percent. Of all time. Also, Mulder's a daddy. Oh. <laughs> I mean, Scully is too, but. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, Mulder. <laughs> oh, we could go. Oh, my God. Also, oh, my God. We do another da- X-Files. We totally could. We've never watched it. <laughs> I saw the DVDs in your thing. <laughs> what the hell, you guys? I've Okay. We can cut this if we need to. I have just started like, the X-Files multiple times on my own and it scares me too much. Okay. Like it's actually so scary. The One of the first episodes with, um, oh, what's his name? Percy in, in yes, Green the Mile. Squeeze? squeeze. One of the most terrifying episodes of TV and I still, I always think about it. I've seen the first yeah. two seasons a handful of times and I'd like to watch all of it, but I like need to watch it with you. Right. Because it actually really freaks me out. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I haven't seen the whole thing because Dev and I got up, up a boat until season eight or nine. And it gets it gets okay. And then it gets bad. Really bad. We have seen them. I've seen the movie. The movie's great. Yeah. Love the movie. The movie's good. Yeah. I think there's two movies. I need to go to watch. Seen one okay. of them. Oh. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about X-Files. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Scully and Mulder would die for both of them. Oh, yeah. Did they ever kiss? Do you want me to tell you that? Yeah. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. It takes Does it take forever though? Time. It takes almost like <laughs> Do they seven kiss a seasons. lot? Uh, no. Okay. Well, that's no. a bummer. It's a bit of a bummer. The best part about X-Files is all of the almost moments. Mm. And it's like, the it's the epitome of like a slow burn, which I fucking love. It's also like alien stuff really freaks me out. Because it's just like, what if yeah. they're real? <laughs> There's actually, have you ever heard about the episode called Home? I think it's in season Maybe. four. It is heralded as being one of the scariest episodes of television of all time. And they played it on cable once and never again. It hasn't it. They never reran it because it an alien episode. No, it's like it's like um, in Erring their child alive inbred, like murdering Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes. It's really scary. It's super freaky. And it's also just like fucked up. Um, but yeah, they like don't play it on TV anymore because it got so many complaints. Um, Where did we leave off? I think so, we're just on. What will you carry with you? Well, the hmm. last the last bit is what does the film help you understand about the concept of dad? Did I actually? Put, are there all those questions in your thing? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm missing <laughs> them. I didn't do it well. Yeah. Um, thoughts. So, what does the film help you understand <laughs> about the concept I, of dad? I feel dad? like we've already talked about it, but yeah, I mean, like just thinking about the Jack Crawford of it all. Love you're, it or hate you're, you're really hanging in the Jack Crawford it. of it all. <laughs> and like, he's not even a dad that I would want. But, no. But I was just like kind of searching and I'm like, I don't know. Good conversation starter, maybe. <laughs> um, but just what what I was kind of reflecting on after the fact is that I, I think a good dad is somebody who cares, who teaches, supports you, somebody who trusts you and can be patient with you and you can learn from them, but you you can do all of that while not smothering them or overprotecting them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you choose to look into it the way that I've looked into it with Jack Crawford. I feel like he gives that in varying amounts to Clarice throughout the film. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I got. <laughs> Anything else? Good. 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 Um, nice. I think too that like, 
Yeah, it's it's funny, Kylie, that you say that you kind of like didn't remember the whole like dad element and the whole her whole sort of like backstory. I mean, what sticks with you is the story of the lambs, right? But you yeah. kind of forget that the catalyst of that happening is like her dad passing yeah. away, right? And so I think that I just really took away how, you know, a parent's and in Clarice's case, like her dad's like values, like and you know, clearly like a sense of justice, like she is who she is because of who her dad was. Mm -hmm. And the very, we see him for 10 seconds, like Mm -hmm. getting out of his cop car and, and, uh, coming home to her. And I think it's just like, yeah, how much influence our, our parental figures have over who we become for Mm -hmm. better or for worse. Right. And yeah. And I think especially what this film does so well, without even making it the cornerstone of the film is showing that when you have that kind of a loss, you're arrested at what you knew about them then Mm. because Mm -hmm. she was a little girl and she perceived her father in a particular way. Yeah. And she has taken that with her into how she lives her life and her job in ways that Elliot, you've spoken a lot about like sometimes may not be the best for her mentally. Mm -hmm. Um, And she doesn't know. And we don't know what he might say to her as an adult or how he might have shifted as he aged. Mm -hmm. And so all she has is that version of him from when she was little. Yeah. And that loss, like I used that language before cleaves her such that that is the path she is on now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like for me personally, like I haven't had a meaningful conversation with my dad in years. I don't really speak to him, but like, uh, so much of what I knew about him when I was younger had changed and shifted when everything that he did came to light when I was an adult. Mm-hmm. So the last thing I have of him is just these really hurtful, really awful things about my dad who was supposed to be this beacon of light and kindness and what a good man and good person is supposed to be. And mm-hmm. then that's all just shattered. So I feel like, but I thought all of those things about my dad when I was a younger person. So, you know, I can totally see how Clarice would idolize her dad mm-hmm. and put him on this pedestal and like knowing that he was somebody who was in authority and mm-hmm. that she aspires to be like that one day. And like, that's the pinnacle of a good, not a, just a good parent, but a good person in society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's a, uh, it's like in her bones that that's what she needs to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she's become w- him. She wants to be somebody that like her dad would be proud of. Yeah. And she, yeah, she wants to emulate her dad and mm-hmm. in the choices that she makes. And yeah. But I like that. That's such a subtle part of the story. And that, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we're, we're deep diving, but I appreciate that it's there. Um, but, I, it, but it's not the driving factor of why she's doing everything. I'm like I got to make my dad proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is more complex than that. Yeah. Okay. Get to the last question that we love to ask on these dad deep dives. What will you carry with you? Dev. Oh my God. What? <laughs> I feel like when the server comes to your table and is like you first and I'm like, Oh my God. Um, yeah. I just, it's like as every time I watch this movie, I think my feelings towards it become more complicated because mm-hmm. of all the stuff that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. But I also just like, am surprised at how great it is every single time you know like you really you can almost forget how masterful it is in so many aspects but I think I will carry the like Clarice vibes of like resiliency and strength but also like 
it's okay. It's okay to feel those scared feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's tough and she's tender. And mm-hmm. I love that about mm-hmm. her. I think it's okay. It's really beautiful. Yeah. I love Clarice. Really love that. Kylie. I'm going to go darker on this. <laughs> so we haven't talked about the title or the lambs. Oh yeah. At all. And it's enough. There's something about this movie that I forget how good it is until I'm watching it. And I forget why it's called what it is. And I forget that how he escaped and then it's all happening again. The end of the film to me seems to say that the things that happen to us don't leave us. Mm. The death of your father doesn't leave you. Yeah. The trauma you experience doesn't go away. And I think that combined with that story, because you know what Hannibal says to her is you want to silence the screaming. Mm -hmm. Like you want the screaming to stop. And then of course with like ubiquitously and, literature and everything else like lambs being a representation of innocence Mm -hmm. so like that the death of innocence and silence is such an interesting thing because silence can happen in death too Mm -hmm. him calling and saying have they stopped screaming i think the answer is no and they never will Mm -hmm. and then you pair that that and she doesn't have to say that we know no catching him killing him saving her didn't stop the screaming Mm-hmm. And then having that final shot where he escapes and he disappears into the crowd of people seems to be the visual representation of that thought. That the things that come after us never stop coming after us. Mm. They never go away. We can't, there's no easy fix, which I think goes back to Elliot, your point of we all need yeah. a little bit of therapy, right? To confront that these things won't go away. Yeah. We need to acknowledge them and tackle them and not look for a way to get rid of them or run from them or fix them. Um, And I think that just I find the ending of this film deeply haunting. Yes. And I think, you know, going back to our very first conversation of like, is this a horror movie? The like the lack of closure that he's just out there and he's following Chilton and like there is no you uh, you have an idea of what's going to happen. But you never know, and Clarice is never gonna know. And, and he's just disappeared into the crowd. He's just a like to go back to the lamb, like he's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, like there's right. so many different like yeah, but it, that to me makes it feel like oh yeah, that is horrifying. <laughs> that yeah. this person is just yeah, just walking, walking, walking among us. So that's yep. like that to like sum it up in a line. The the thing that I carry with me is that the things that happen to us don't ever leave us. And sometimes the things we think will get them to leave us don't. So mm-hmm. we need to tackle that and and be aware of that and live with that difficulty rather than try and deny it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, it's interesting too. Like while you were talking, it got me kind of thinking a little bit. Like it, Hannibal Lecter asking her that question of like, are, are the lambs or has the screaming stopped? Are the lambs still screaming? Like it almost shows his ignorance a little bit because I feel like he is equating. I I feel like he has this vision of Clarice being so personally tied up in this case and solving it will give her some sort of resolution to all of her trauma she's experienced in her life, which I never got that that was the case at all from Clarice and this, and this particular case that she's on. I always read that line as he's taunting her. Like mm-hmm. he knows the screaming hasn't stopped. Like so has like yeah. has the screaming stopped? Because he knows the answer is no. And we know the answer is no. 
And, and we the, all have to confront that. Is that the first thing he says to her when he jumps on the phone? Because he says something that is very private and personal uh, to her. So he, he, he she starts would know off by being like, I won't don't bother tracing because I won't be on long enough. Right. right. Um, okay. And then. Yeah, I don't remember what he but it, it is quite soon that he. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. And like that was just a, th- a thought <laughs> that I had while you were talking. But I was, I was just thinking about yeah. that. Yeah, I think, yeah, just like the lack of finality, the lack of closure, the idea that that the that yeah, he won't stop and therefore like you can you can interpret it that to like all the things that are haunting all of us probably won't stop either is like a mm. pretty horrifying and real thing to think about. And there will always be just like there will there was a Hannibal Lecter and there was a Buffalo Bill, there will always be yeah. like this horror in the world right and so you can catch mm-hmm. one but there will be another one totally. and you can fail to catch that one yeah right and it's it's about learning to live with that and tackle that as opposed to trying to yeah conquer it yeah yeah i think yeah i think i think for me um what i'll carry with me is just the complexity of clarice as a character and i feel like i got the most i've ever gotten out of that on this viewing mm-hmm. like just seeing the yeah the the gaze that's upon her by men and other people throughout this film um the relationship she has with ardelia is that her name mm-hmm. like i think that that's like those are some of the most precious little bright spots in a very dark movie and that like she has this complicated past but again we're not beat over the head with it like the the subtlety in the storytelling is is really great here um and like yeah like i was saying earlier how we see her humanity. We're not just seeing a professional side FBI agent procedural kind of version of Clarice. We're getting, uh, we're getting to see her make decisions that she wants to make. And it's not out of any sort of professional obligation. It's this very human doing, trying to do the best for humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's contrasted by some very shitty people in this movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, she's just, she's one of the, one of the most incredible on-screen characters and protagonists that has ever been put on film mm-hmm. and to be so complex and such a joy to watch is really great. Yeah. And it's funny too. I think when people think about this movie, they think their mind automatically goes to Anthony Hopkins mm-hmm. and Hannibal Lecter, which I think is fair because it's an iconic performance. It's so the shot of him with the face shield on, it's like, so it's quite iconic and memorable, but yeah, every time I watch this movie, I'm like, nah, Jodie Foster. This All is, the way. It's like, it's truly like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you said, it's truly, you don't have the Joker without Batman. And you need Batman mm-hmm. to get that. Anthony Hopkins is the Joker in this case. Clarice is, is Batman. Clarice Starling is Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. This was great. This was really fun. We dove deep and swam in the daddy water. (laughs) (laughs) The daddy waters indeed. Elliot can't swim, so. Oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like it. Okay, (laughs) fair. He might drown in the daddy waters. (laughs) Yeah. In in Jack Crawford's daddy water. Never mind. (laughs) Daddy waters. Gross. (laughs) Gross. Sick. (laughs) Um, but thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Watching movie and watching this movie with us, and um, yeah, we've kind of alluded to already. We should just do this more. Yeah. I mean, why not? Yeah. There's something so beautiful about um, 
uh, not beautiful or like weirdly hilarious about like reconnecting with old friends and Hannibal also reconnecting with old friends. <laughs> yes. I'm not going to murder any of you guys. I promise. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> We're not going to eat each other's flesh or anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for coming. On. Thanks. It's been a real treat. And thank you all for listening. We drop a new episode of our regular show every Thursday. You can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Our usernames are in the show notes. And you have Letterboxd as I well. I sure do. Right? Yeah. I love Letterboxd. Let's throw that in the show notes. Yeah, let's do it. Nice. Yeah. So Devin's Letterboxd will be in the show notes <laughs> as well. Um, But, uh, you know, we, we would love you forever if you could share us with the people that are rad in your life. That'd be kind of cool. Um, and drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That is going to do it for these stinkies this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie, and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot, and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad. Bye.